Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. We want to continue to dig into God's Word together this morning as we're digging into the advent of Christ. The advent meaning the arrival of a notable person or thing, and as we've been digging into the last few weeks, there's no more notable arrival than the arrival of Christ. God taking on flesh, we talked about that last week, about the incarnation. I think it was in second service that I, I, I was saying incarnation, the idea of, you know, if you've ever gone out for tacos or burritos and you've ordered carne asada, <laughs> it's meat. God took on meat. God took on flesh, incarnation. Not incarne asada, but incarnation. God took on flesh and came and lived where we live. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, so um, make sure you do your Christmas shopping this week. And uh, we'll see you here next Sunday morning either at uh, 10 a.m. or at 6 p.m. And uh, we're going to just be believing God for uh, a, a great outpouring of his spirit and many people coming to know the Lord, bring people who need to know Jesus or need to know him better. It's going to be a great Sunday next week. We've been digging in to the scriptural prophecies from Isaiah, the primary prophetic voice who spoke about the coming Messiah, God taking on flesh. And we talked about how he's an intercessor and a prophet, one who stood in the gap, prayed the prayer that needed to be prayed. As a model for us, that we need to pray the prayer that must be prayed. And also a prophet who spoke the word of the Lord, in his immediate context, Isaiah prophesied to the Jewish nation that was in captivity in Babylon. In God's wisdom, Isaiah prophesies for people everywhere at all times who are held captive in sin. That God's word is alive, it's not restricted to its first audience, but that God's intention was that this word would be breathed upon, that here we are thousands of years later, recognizing that there are still those who long for the appearing of the Messiah. Now we know that what Isaiah prophesied is the, the coming of the Messiah, his first advent, and there are those who, who recognize Jesus as the Messiah, God in the flesh, who long for his second coming, the second advent. They long for his appearing. Is there anyone in this room who longs for the return of Christ? Amen. And so uh, Jesus is the king over every king. He's the anointed one who will rule the world, crush the powers of evil and sin, and he will break the curse. That's, that's what Jesus has come to do. And Jesus absorbed the bruising of the serpent while crushing his head and established victory by dying and by being raised to life again. Jesus came into this world and brought his kingdom with him. And that's what we're introduced to, and even as we've been worshiping today and, and the songs that we're singing about the rule of God and his worth and his majesty. When Jesus took on flesh and, and began his earthly ministry, we saw that what Jesus did in the gospel is that he offered forgiveness to repentant sinners, that he offered healing for those that were sick. He offered deliverance for those who were held captive by demonic powers and his anger towards those who were religious and unmerciful. And he demonstrated his power through his prayer and his preaching. And in the gospel, we're given a foretaste of God's rule on the earth, a preview of the kingdom of God. Often what Jesus would do in his earthly ministry is 
as he would lay hands on a sick person or deliver someone from demonic power, preach, teach the word, some kind of sign and wonder, Jesus would begin his message with these words, the kingdom of God is at hand. Or another way of putting it is, look, this is what the kingdom looks like. Someone who is sick is now healthy. Someone who is bound is now free. Someone who was blind can now see. Those who were captive in sin are now free to live in righteousness. Jesus said to his, to his followers, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Meaning that what Jesus was demonstrating was the superior realities of the kingdom of God that can actually become a righteous infection in godly people. That his way of living and his way of ruling is not by apprehending political power, but by subverting it through changing hearts and lives. That's the way that Jesus rules. And so he, he talked about my kingdom is at hand and he came in his first advent as a gentle lamb. And since that first advent, there are those who love him, who long for his appearing to come in his second advent as the one who will come as the lion returning in power and in glory. The apostle Paul said this, we're not in our text yet. I'm just Wetting your appetite. In, 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 the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, he said that all of creation has been in groaning with the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. What's he saying? He's saying that what Jesus came to do revealed the kingdom, and yet we find ourselves in this tension of what God has taught us to pray and pull on, and that there is, there is a sense of what is available. There's a greater manifestation coming. That's his second coming. The whole creation is in groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all for who hopes for what he already has. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There's a longing of patient hope in the heart of every true believer. That the kingdom of God that we're taught to pull on and the manifestation of the sons of God, meaning that we could actually be those who walk in the things that Jesus walked in. He said that if my spirit dwells in you, you can do what I've been doing and even greater things. There's a longing that begins to get stirred in us that God, we want to see your kingdom fully established. We groan along with creation for the new heaven and the new earth, the new order under the rule of Christ. The, the first advent of Jesus stirs in us a hope of his second coming. Creation itself groans. The nations long for him. And we join in the hope of the fullness of the redemption of all things under the rule of Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? We want to see the full rule of Jesus. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 35. And we're going to work through this entire chapter today. Some of you, your whole devotions for the week are going to be dealt with here in one whole chapter together. I'm just kidding. We're going to dig into Isaiah 35. And this passage prophesies the first and second comings. It's included. And so as we look at this text, we see what the arrival of Jesus foreshadowed for his ultimate rule over the earth. Isaiah 35 verse 1 we're going to read verse 1 and verse 2. It says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, 
it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Let's pause there. Isaiah, in his prophetic writing, often uses the imagery of the personification of nature. He talks about nature bursting forth into song and about the, 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 the blossoming of a wilderness. And here he's speaking of the dry wilderness bursting forth into bloom and shouting for joy. Last week we looked at the words of Isaiah where he talked about a shoot from the stump of Jesse. How many were here last Sunday and got that word or you got it online? That, 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 that word of, of, of no statistical advantage for the arrival of Jesus, the king over every king. But there's a shoot from the stump. There's, there's something that God's doing beneath the surface in bringing new life and fulfilling salvation. Here the theme is picked up again. And the advent of Jesus, hear me, unleashes the impossible. Dry deserts become fruitful gardens. Barrenness gives way to great joy. The wilderness itself sings and rejoices. The glory of God is revealed in places that were dry and dead. And I want to say to you that a life lived outside of the presence of Jesus is a dry wasteland. And what is being prophesied is a Messiah that steps into our dry place, into our wasteland and our barrenness, and he comes and he brings life with him. He brings life into impossible places that what is not possible with man is possible with God. And he makes the wilderness bloom. When we get a revelation of Jesus, new life begins. That's the truth of the gospel, the good news. The Bible tells us about when Jesus was making entrance. All the gospels talk about when Jesus was making entrance in the last week of his life. We call that the Passion Week. It is kicked off on Palm Sunday. As Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, he's been ministering for three and a half years. And now as he makes his approach to the city, it's the fullness of time. It's the culmination of the plan of salvation. And the things that are about to unfold in that coming week are, are very deep and bringing everything into the plan and purpose of God. And as Jesus makes his way into the city, his reputation and the testimony of his miracles of his teaching, of the way that he upended the religious system, of the way that he would forgive sinners and cleanse the lepers and heal and even raise people from the dead, there's an awakening that begins to hit the city. Let me read this to you from Luke chapter 19. It says this, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. They said, blessed is he who comes. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, religious people, know-it-alls, in the crowd came and said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. 
The revelation of Jesus in that moment that was resting on the city of Jerusalem was such that Jesus said, if they don't praise me, creation itself will begin to sing. There's a, when revelation comes, the, the groaning of creation, like we read from Romans 8 just a few moments ago, creation groaning for the revelation of God. When the revelation of God hits a people, what happens is even nature itself responds. It's a fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied, the deserts beginning to cry out in worship and in praise. Creation itself cries out under the majestic arriving of Jesus. And that revelation of Jesus is given to a person by the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. This is not about just, you know, taking a survey of world religions and just putting a tick next to the box of Christianity and going, yeah, I think that one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. It's not just assuming that Jesus was a good man and maybe he might have, you know, been a prophet. Maybe, you know, some people think he's God. I, you know, it's not just kind of reasoning your way through, circling a box and saying, I, I, I think I'm a, I'm a Christian or I was born into a Christian home, so I, I think I'm a Christian. My, my grandma prayed, so I guess I'm a Christian. I've watched a Gaither video before, so I guess I'm a Christian. <laughs> but it's a revelation that comes to the heart by the Holy Spirit. The revelation that was on the city of Jerusalem as he proceeded in, the city began to worship in a prophetic way, meaning what? They began to say things that was beyond their understanding. It was declaring the identity of God in the flesh. Messianic decree, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That, that revelation comes by the Holy Spirit. Jesus asked his disciples one day, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke, not by logic, reason, or figuring it out, or by the powers of deduction, but he said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're blessed, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed that to you. The revelation of Jesus that causes the dry wasteland of the heart separate from him to burst into new life is given by the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift from God. It begins with the seed of his word. It's watered by faith, and faith sprouts out in revelation, and that revelation gives full bloom to confession. The revelation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the Messiah. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Not the powers of deduction and reason. We don't set our mind aside, but we don't enter the kingdom through logic, reason, and trying to figure it all out, but we enter by faith. And that's a gift from God. When Jesus is revealed to a heart, it's not a bad person becoming good. It's not a good person becoming better. It's a dead person coming to life. It's a wilderness becoming a garden. That's what Isaiah prophesied. Salvation, I'm telling you today, is a miracle. It's a miracle. When faith is deposited in your heart and it's watered by the Spirit and you speak out by faith, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You're God in the flesh. Something happens that is more than just, I think I figured it out. But the Spirit of God takes residence in the heart. And that dry wasteland of previous existence, separated from him, gives place to a blossoming garden. It's a miracle. Let's look again at our text, Isaiah 35, verse 3. He then says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. 
Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Hallelujah. That's a good word. God coming to save his people. You know, every other religion in the world is all an attempt of men and women trying to access the divine realm through the efforts of religion, through the efforts of penance, through the efforts of trying to somehow please God or the gods or whatever deity that they might subscribe to. But the one true God, the God of the universe, who made everything by the word of his mouth, saw our plight and the dilemma of the wasteland and wilderness that we were in. And God said, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to save you. God didn't leave us where we are, but he said, I'm coming into the mess. He took on flesh, the incarnation. Our condition outside of Jesus is bleak. It's hopeless and fearful, but the prophetic word comes and says, strengthen your weak knees and don't be afraid. Understand your God is coming to save you. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this, since the children have flesh and blood, speaking of humanity, speaking of you and me, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Isaiah says, don't be afraid anymore. Don't be afraid of what? Don't be afraid of anything. Don't be afraid to die. Why? Because your God will surely come, and he'll come and save you. God took on flesh in Jesus Christ, and in taking on flesh and dying and coming to life again through faith in him, the fear of death is canceled forever. Amen. The fear of death is canceled forever. I'm telling you, the fear of death is canceled forever. For a child of God, there's no fear of death. I'm not afraid. How can you say that? Because I know who holds eternity and in faith in Christ, my God has come for me and he shut the gates of hell to me, opened the gates of heaven for me and said, welcome in my son, my daughter. He welcomes us in through faith. He comes to save us. There's confidence in the face of death. And so Isaiah prophesies and get this, he prophesies and tells us to prophesy. Did you know you can prophesy? Do you know that God's word says, this is a separate teaching or a separate day, but God's word says that all, all his people can prophesy? You can all prophesy? You're like, I don't know where to start. Start right here. Start right here in Isaiah 35, verse 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come and save you. You're like, that's prophecy? Oh, yeah, that's prophecy. Get that word on your lips. Prophesy salvation to your neighbor. Prophesy salvation to this world. If you're afraid, don't be afraid. How can you tell me not to be afraid? Because your God's coming. He'll come to save you. God took on flesh. Jesus came. He will come to save you. When God took on flesh, he took on our fears. He took on our weaknesses. He took on our sorrows. He took on our sins. And he absorbed the penalty that we could not. In Christ, God has come to save us. And salvation is an eternal reality. And that puts strength into the heart of every person within the sound of my voice. If you've confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life, there's a strength in you that you didn't have before you confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life. I've got confidence. 
I have confidence. Those who died in faith, I have confidence. We will see them again. We'll be reunited in heaven. That's a confident assurance. That's not just, you know, wishing upon a star and trying to tell myself a good story so that I can power through the tough days. I have a confidence in my spirit that though I might grieve, I don't grieve as those without hope. Hope transforms grief, and I have an understanding that my God has come to save me, and he's opened up the realm of heaven. And through shared faith, there's reunion coming for those who love the Lord. Come on. Somebody say amen. There's a confidence that comes in, strength that comes. And it changes the way that grief operates. Hebrews says, I just read it to you, Jesus came and he canceled though the fear that held people all their lives. The fear of death is canceled. That's the power of the cross. The fear of death is canceled. You're like, can, can I be afraid to die? No. Just a little bit? No. No. Like, really? The, the, the fear of death is absolutely obliterated in Jesus. Because we have a whole new understanding of existence on this mortal plane. It's just, this is a tent that I'm living in. My real home isn't here. My real home is in heaven. And I've got a confident assurance that puts a strength into my life. Let's go to our text, verse 5 of Isaiah 35. Then the eyes, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Now this is... This is a prophetic word on two wavelengths. There's the natural realm and the spiritual realm. Spiritually speaking, what Isaiah is saying is when salvation, when your God comes to save you and the fear of death is canceled from your life, it's like your eyes are opened. Right. Songs like that have been written for years about, you know, I saw the light. I once was, you know, blind, but now I see amazing grace, how sweet the sun. There's, there's the revelation that I couldn't see before, but now I can. I couldn't hear before, but now I can. I was stuck in sin, but now I'm fully mobile. There's a spiritual reality of my blindness, my deafness, my lameness has been overcome by the life of Christ, and I can see, hear, and walk by the Spirit every day of my life. That's our testimony. But there's also on the physical realm the testimony of the ministry of Jesus when he came. He came to identify the markers that were prophesied for him. He came and walked the streets of Jerusalem and everywhere that he went, he fulfilled these prophetic words. He healed the blind. You know the story of Bartimaeus standing in a crowd of people. And when he heard that Jesus was coming by, he began to shout and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, call that man over here and brought Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus to the front. Bartimaeus threw his begging cloak aside and stood before the Lord. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, then receive your sight. And from that moment on, he could see. The blind saw at the touch of Jesus. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 7 about a man who was deaf and mute that people brought to Jesus and they begged him to place his hands on the man. One of the weirdest miracles in the Bible. Mark 7, after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. And then he spat and he touched the man's tongue. Man, you better be sure if you're going to an altar call for Jesus. He's like, what's the matter? Well, he can't hear, and he can't talk. No problem. How's that? Spat and touched man's tongue. 
Listen. Verse 34 of Mark 7, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha. There's a lot of PHs in there, so that's what it sounds like. <laughs> Ephatha, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. The deaf and the mute came into their healing in the presence of Jesus. We know the story from the Gospels about the lame man, Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is preaching and teaching in a Pharisee's house. and Four friends can't find their way through any of the entrances to the building, so they climb on the roof, cut a hole in it, lower their paralyzed friend down in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he spoke forgiveness on the man that upset the Pharisees at the Pharisee convention. And Jesus kept talking and said, I can say I forgive you, I can say I can heal you, which one's easier? But so that you might know I can forgive sins, take your mat roll it up and walk out of here. And that guy picked up his mat and walked out. The lame walked. The deaf heard. The mute spoke. Blinded eyes were open. Why am I giving you a survey of the Gospels? Because Gospel is a, is, is a word that needs to be translated for today's hearer. It's good news. Here's the good news. If you need healing, Jesus is the healer. I'm not the healer. Jesus is the healer. You're not the healer. Jesus is the healer. Jesus still heals broken bodies today. This is who he is. This is good news for those who are infirm or who are sick. Even if, you, if you're here this morning and you're in between, you know, getting scans and, and, and trying to figure out what they're saying and, and, and you're, you're waiting on a diagnosis or if you're watching at home and you're not able to be with us here because you're not feeling well, I want you to know your God will surely come. He will come and save you. And he's the one who opens blind eyes and deaf ears and loosens mute tongues and raises the lame. He even raises the dead to life. Our God is a healer. Everybody in this room has a testimony of sickness that ran its course. But there are others in this room who have testimony of heal, healing where God intervened and the natural course of sickness was cut off by faith in Jesus' name. Never let what hasn't happened crowd out what can happen because of who God is. But set your faith on the word of Jesus. Your God will surely come. Jesus is a healer. Today he's a healer. This is who he is and what he does. Hallelujah. 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 Raise your hand if you need a healing in your body this morning. If you're, if you're watching online, raise your hand too. Let's pray right now. Why not let's pray right now? Can we do that? Lift your hand in faith. Lift both your hands in faith. Let's just trust the Lord. This is who Jesus is. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead, just pray right where you are. Just begin to pray. You're like, I've prayed about this many times, Pastor. Let someone beside you pray. Father, we're asking right now, in the name of Jesus, you are the healer. All over this room and those who are joining us online, we know that you are the healer. This is who you are. It's not just what you do. This is who you are. You're the healer. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. And today, Lord, for every hand that is stretched towards you, we, Lord, we, we recognize those raised hands not as, as, as a, a sad confession of feel bad for me. These raised hands are saying, Lord, in faith we're reaching to the God who's come to save us. Father, we're asking right now that your healing virtue would flow. Come on, people, let's pray. Let the healing virtue of Jesus flow. Right now, in this moment, I'm asking that symptoms would begin to be alleviated now at the name of Jesus. I'm asking for healing to come, for pain to go. Father, for the root source of pain to be eliminated. I'm asking that today would be a turnaround day in the name of Jesus. Lord, this is who you are. And we declare your healing now in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Amen. This is who he is. Praise God. Let's go back to our text, verse 6. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. What's this saying? Saying that there's a whole new life that is available to the one who is saved. When your God comes and saves you, he doesn't just come and save the wilderness, build a fence around it and say, that belongs to me. But he comes into the wilderness and he transforms it to a place of springs. What's Isaiah prophesying? He's prophesying life by the Spirit. Life by the Holy Spirit is the life of the follower of Christ. What am I saying? I'm saying it's not optional. Life by the Spirit is life for the follower of Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the line, we came up with denominations and distinctions, and there are reasons for some of those things that God is at work in those. But among distinctions, let me just say, at the risk of maybe hurting someone's feelings, life in the Spirit is life as the follower of Jesus. Where does he get off saying that? Well, do you remember when the church got started? The book of Acts is this whole narrative of how the church got started. Acts chapter 19, you don't have to go there, but the Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey and he finds some believers in Ephesus. And when he finds these believers in Ephesus, just a small church, about 12 people, he finds these 12 believers and he asks them, while he's ministering to them, they're believers, they love Jesus. He asks them, "Um, have you guys received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they say, well, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And you know what Paul did? He, He started a new denomination. He was like, oh, okay, well then you guys don't have to have the Holy Spirit. Here's a little denomination for you guys. That's not what he did. He saw that as a problem to be fixed. He said, what do you mean you don't know there's the Holy Spirit? No, we, we didn't know. Well, what baptism did you get? John's baptism. Oh, so you're saved. That's, that's, he says you're saved. Like you, you, you've gone through the waters of baptism, John's baptism. But like that's for salvation. But you need Somebody say need. Need. You need a second baptism. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like, why live at a level less than what God promises? Where's the promise? Isaiah 35, among other places. That when your God comes to save you and he heals you and transforms you, he doesn't just leave you in a wilderness, but he says, let me change some things. I want this wilderness to be a bubbling spring. Life by the Spirit, the wasteland that you lived in before Christ is not now just a little turbo boost for the rest of your life that you're just trying to hang on to Jesus till you get to heaven. But the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes and lives inside of you. And your whole life is transformed when God takes up residency on the inside. And there's a life of refreshing that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 7, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, wave at me if you believe in Jesus. He said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. You all just waved. You're like, what does that mean? That means there's streams of living water flowing from within you. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. That's it? Yeah. He who believes in me, Jesus said, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. When later? Acts chapter 2. 
We're on the other side of Acts chapter 2. This includes us. The Spirit of God wants to come and live inside of you and like a stream of living water flow inside of your life. The life of the Holy Spirit is available to you. Available to all of us. So then why does Jesus say, if anyone is thirsty? Because what is available isn't what is experienced. Thirst unlocks it. There's streams of living water available to every believer in the sound of my voice. But if you've been taught wrong, or if you have a, a, a fear of losing your personal control, if you have you know, some kind of theology that makes it sound like God's just going to kind of turn you into a weirdo, you, like if you have, have hang-ups, you can turn your appetite away from what's available. But Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty... Like scripture said, he who believes. It's not enough to believe. You've got to get thirsty. And if you're thirsty, streams of living water will flow. Not might flow. They will flow. And I'm saying to you today, God, these are days to cultivate thirst for life in the spirit. These are days to say, Holy Spirit, flow like a river in me. I'm thirsty for you. I know what's available I believe in you, but I'm thirsty for you. Come and fill me, Holy Spirit, and turn my wasteland into a bubbling spring. Verse 8 of Isaiah 35. And a highway will be there. So the whole geography changes. Your whole life changes when Jesus comes in. The wilderness begins to worship and sing. Your God comes and saves you. He takes your lameness, your deafness, your blindness, your mute, and he gives you the ability to speak and sing and creates new life into you. And then the wilderness becomes a bubbling spring and gushes in life. And then verse 8 says, and a highway will be there. And it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. It's a capital W in your Bible, same as mine. And wicked fools will not go about on it. The Lord opens up a whole new way of living for the church. Those who just waved at me a few minutes ago saying, I believe in Jesus. The Lord opens up a new way of life. And that new way of living is the way of holiness. In John 14, 6, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a whole new way of holiness that's found in Jesus. It's like trying to jump over the moon until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But when that river of living water is coursing through you and you have the life of the Spirit on within and you remain thirsty for Him, your thirst for Him causes for other thirsts to be repugnant to you. And the other wells that you drank from and the other things that you used to engage in, those things no longer satisfy. And you begin to drink deeply from the waters of salvation, begin to drink deeply from the river of life. And the Spirit of God begins to transform you on the inside out. And then a highway begins to emerge out of the gushing water of the Spirit. And this highway is called the way of holiness. God's perfection applied to our hearts and our obedience to His voice. It's not one or the other. There's a holiness that is imputed upon us through faith in Jesus. And there's a holiness that is a response of obedience because of the salvation we've received. Because I've been saved, I live like it. 
My love for Jesus, it takes some shape in my life. My faith is not just a belief system. James says that faith actually doesn't work. It can't save you. It's just a belief system. He's like, the, the faith that works is the faith that actually begins to behave in a way that aligns with what God says. The holiness that is granted to us through the perfection of Jesus is the starting point, and then he calls us to live the way of holiness. Isaiah talks about it here. It's the way of holiness, walking with the Lord. Psalm 24 tells us that those who want to ascend the hill of the Lord need to have what? Clean hands and a pure heart. There's a change in the way that we live when we follow Jesus. Jesus is our perfect Savior, and he's also our perfect model. That's why he said, I'm the way. Why would he say he's the way if he's not the model? This is the way. It's not a Mandalorian. It's Jesus. This is the way. I'm the way. Truth and the life. Verse 9, no lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Not only does Jesus transform the wilderness to a place of praise, not only does he take us from our crippled state and bring us to a whole new life, being able to see, hear, walk, and speak, but then he, he comes and, and works out salvation in us, and we begin to experience life in the Spirit, the way of holiness and now what we see is that he becomes, Jesus becomes our perfect protector. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said that the thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9, the, the apostle writes under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So resist him standing firm in the faith. Can I tell you that there, there is a literal enemy called Satan? Don't want to make much of him, but don't want to ignore either that there are powers of darkness that are working to steal, kill, and destroy. The, the apostle Peter said that the enemy, Satan, through his demonic horde, looks for those whom he may devour. We can see the works of darkness creeping over the face of the earth in these days. Wars and violence and genocides and hatred, self-mutilation. The enemy, Satan, aims to destroy the image of God in humanity. Many of the ideologies that are taking root in our culture right now are nothing more than a demonic doctrine that is aiming to distort the image of God. What God has, how God has created us in his image, male and female, he created us. There's a doctrine of demons that says, no, God might have made a mistake or maybe there is no God, but just blow yourself up and it, it's actually an enemy. There's a power behind it to steal and kill and destroy. But I want to tell you that God says that he will come and save us through the prophet Malachi. He says that he will rebuke the devourer. He is the one who crushed the head of the evil one and releases the atmosphere of his peace and righteousness the rule of his kingdom, and that is how he rules and leads, with peace in the midst of the storm. And so what is the response of those who, save, verse, who are saved? Verse 10, I love this. It says, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing 
will flee away. I'm telling you, life in Christ is real life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have life to the full. The fullness of life is that we are the ransomed of the Lord. That means that we were held captive in sin, but the God who came to save us paid the ransom in his own blood took us into his kingdom of light and we will come into Zion, meaning the, the, heaven, the heavenly realm of, of faith with singing and ever, everlasting joy will crown our heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Did you ever think of that? To be overtaken by joy. Not just be kind of happy. Not smile on occasion. But to be overtaken by joy. Like a tsunami changing the, the, the topography. Like a wave of joy that comes and just begins to crush all sighing and doubt and fear. We'll be overtaken by joy. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. That there is a whole new way of life. And the, the, the joy of the Lord comes and rests upon us. He gives us the oil of his joy. In Jesus' inaugural sermon, he quoted from Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, the recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the captives, deliverance for the oppressed, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, those living in a paradox, Grief in the kingdom of God. Not protected from the pain of life, experiencing the pain of life, grieving in Zion. God says to real people with real problems who love Jesus, he's going to provide for those who grieve in Zion. And what's he going to do? He's going to give us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Sorrow and sighing will flee away because of the advent of the Christ making room for him in your heart and your life. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? I just want to ask if you're in this place today and Jesus is not your Lord, he's not your Savior, and you are aware of that, been living for yourself, living in some other belief system, or perhaps wandered from him, and there isn't that vital connection to his Lordship, but today, by his word and by his spirit, you're aware that he has come to save you. That means that in this moment, you're aware that today is the day of salvation and you need to yield your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a miracle, not just figuring it out, not just sitting in this room having a debate with yourself or arguing with God, but coming to a revelation that Jesus is the Christ, like Peter said, that Jesus is the Savior, like the city of Jerusalem said as Jesus rode in. That there's a sense of something beginning to bubble up the wasteland giving way to a spring. It's the spring of faith. If you're here and you need to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, before we do anything else, I just want to pray 
with you and pray for you. So if you're here and you'd say, yes, I need to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus, and I want him to come and save me right here and right now today, I want you just to lift your hand so that I can pray with you before we do anything else. If you're here and you need to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Yes, just one hand over here on my left. Yes, two, three. Could be anyone else. Thank you, Lord. Come on, believers, just pray for a minute. God's doing something in these days. Spirit of his conviction resting powerfully upon people in these days to become aware of their need of the Savior, Jesus three people in this room so far. Would there be anyone else just before we do another thing just say, I need to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. Thank you, Lord. Yes, four. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone if you would stand right now. We're going to pray. We're going to open up this altar. I'm going to ask for our prayer teams just to come and line up across the front. I want to pray into a few things today, but in this room this morning, there are four people saying, I need to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus, and that's a first priority because God has come to save. He's come to save. How am I saved? Bible says I need to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and so in just a moment I'm going to open this altar Pastor Paul and I are going to just meet you right up here on my right and your left and if you raise your hand we want to pray with you lead you through a prayer and I'm going to ask you to come and meet us up here so that we can follow up with you and pray a prayer with you of a confession of faith so that new life can be formed if you really meant it I'm going to ask you to take those steps in just a few moments so that we can agree with you in faith and believe that the Lord is working salvation in this room. How many are excited that there's four people in this room saying yes? Thank you, Jesus. We've already prayed for people in this room who need physical healing in in their bodies. But I really felt this today. If you're here and you feel like you need to be overtaken by joy, Just that hit you while I was preaching that. I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord. We're going to pray into that all over this room. This is a miracle that accompanies salvation. To be overcome by joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord, overwhelming sighing and sadness. A garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. The oil of joy instead of mourning. Come on, lift your hands, lift your voice, and just begin to call on the Lord right now. Father, I thank you for the oil of joy that's being released in this room today. I thank you, God, for the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Right now, by the authority of your word, I declare, Lord, your oil being poured out in this room. Lord, would you release the oil of joy? Father, though the circumstance may be what it is, I thank you that you're the God who transforms us from the inside out. You put an oil on us that we walk through it differently. And I'm asking God for joy to come and be the strength of your people. Lord, we're sighing and sorrow has had too much airtime. I'm praying, God, that the joy of the Lord would begin to take front and center in hearts and minds right now. 
the joy of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that it's happening right now. I thank you, Father, that sorrow and sighing is fleeing away in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Sorrow and sighing is not just an emotion, but it's an assignment that needs to be sent running. And I declare sorrow and sighing flee away in the name of Jesus. Let the oil of joy come upon your people. Let the strength of God be manifest today. Father, I pray your covering and blessing and protection and peace over this spiritual family. Let your word take root in our hearts. Cause for us, Lord, this week to prophesy to the weary ones. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each one of our hearts today of whom we could say, do not fear. Your God will surely come. He will come and save you. Lord, would you put the testimony of Jesus on our lips in bold declaration. Father, that there would be a great harvest next week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. If you want prayer for anything at all, we want to welcome you to come. We'd love to pray with you. If you want to linger in the presence of the Lord, we welcome you to do that. If you raised your hand for salvation, come meet with me and Pastor Paul. We'd love to follow up with you. We'd love to connect you with what you need. We want to pray with you. Be blessed. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next Sunday on Christmas Eve. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.